0: Welcome to the Rock Christian Church Podcast. Today's message is Why Salvation by Pastor Sean Wood. If you have your Bibles, uh, I'd ask you to please meet me in Luke chapter 15 and I'll pray as you're making your way there. Father, I thank you this morning for Jesus. We are so thankful for Jesus. We're so thankful to stand in salvation. We thank you for the privilege of righteousness. I thank you, Father, today, because as we unpack your word, we will unpack the message that we live under friendly skies. You are a loving God, a merciful God. And today I pray that our eyes would be opened ever greater to the extent of your love, in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, if, like I said, if you have your Bibles, please meet me in Luke chapter 15, uh, a, a, a person I know, I've, I've learnt of recent history to use the word friend a little bit more conservatively, but a person I know from Tasmania who loves fishing, so he must be okay to some extent, uh, I can remember he decided he was going to take a trip to New Zealand. Uh, trout fishing in New Zealand, by the way, is the river fishing over there is the best on the planet, and Tasmania has the best lake fishing for trout on the planet. Our wild trout fishery in Tasmania in the lakes is far and above uh, anywhere else in the world. Guys come over, they had the International Fly Fishing Championships, guys come over and go, how do you guys catch these fish? They're hard to catch. That's because we're special. (laughs) (coughs) And how you interpret the word special is up to you this morning. However, uh, speaking of special people, uh, th- this gentleman I know decided to go to New Zealand. He went there with a fishing buddy, and uh, uh, he said he was talking about all the places he was going to fish. And I said, listen, uh, are you going to get a guide while you're there? And he said, no, 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 we've researched it all. We know the rivers we want to fish. Uh, we know where we're going and what we're doing. And uh, I remember when he was due to come back, I said to his wife, I said, hey, listen, uh, is he on his way back? And she said, yes. And when he gets here, ask him about the search party. <laughs> Uh, for those of you that know me, know I'm not going to leave that one alone, right? So I remember asking him, I said, listen, uh, how was the fishing and what's the story with the search party? And he said, oh, I, I thought you might raise that. And he said, well, uh, we went fishing one day, we're fishing up and down this river, we go, well, uh, having a great time. He says, but all of a sudden I realised three things. I said, what was that? He said, I realised I had no idea where I was, I had no idea how I got here, and I had no idea how I was going to get home. Uh that sums up our culture today. By the way, it's called Lost. He says, "I was gutter crawling, commode hugging, lost." It's what we call in Tasmania. He was on the eastern side of Lake Upper Cup, buck come west, I had no idea where he was. And he said, "Thankfully, he said we had phone reception, and uh, the story gets a little bit better." He says, "When we ring for help." And they said, first order, they said to them, they said, we've pinged your phone, we know where you are, please stand still. If you keep walking, you're going to make this worse. And he said, these guys, he said, I thought they were the most efficient search party on the planet. He said, they found us in like 20 minutes. But there was a reason for that. He was horribly, horribly, horribly lost, but 150 metres from the car. (laughs) It's Tasmanians, okay? (laughs) I'll have to unpack that later. And the reality is we live in a culture today, uh, there's great, great danger, because we live in a culture today that is horribly, horribly lost and is just a step away from the God who created them. Every single person is only ever one step away from home, and that's the step where you turn around and realise that God is there. I love the words of Paul. So often we speak about, and today we're going to have a look at why salvation and a little bit of a different picture of salvation because often we say, I found God, but Paul would say, I was found of God. When you're lost, you can't find yourself, right? But Paul would say, God found me when I was lost. Today I'd like to have a look through one of the greatest parables ever written. I'm excited. We're going to today and on the 15th, the 15th, we're going to look at why church and we're going to unpack parables. And uh, when we come to parables, uh, Jesus—why did Jesus speak in parables? Because what Jesus was doing was he was using something that's very physical, something that was enormously well known to convey deep spiritual truth. He uses symbolism to do so. He's going to do that today. And uh, we find ourselves in uh, Luke 15, uh, the third parable uh, in, in, a, in a sea of parables about something that is lost and yet found. And that's my story. My story is I was lost, but God found me. And uh, how do we interpret parables? How are we to know uh, what the context is? Well, either Jesus tells us the interpretation like he does with the parable of the sower, or the parable always follows a question or a statement of some kind. And Luke 15, we have three parables that follow the Pharisees and the scribes uh, complaining that Jesus was eating with tax collectors and sinners. And everybody's going, what's the go with tax collectors? They're like Collingwood supporters today. They kind of congregate in their own groups, you know. Nobody else wanted anything to do with these guys. And they got up in the morning and brushed their tooth. But if I can take a little bit, if if, this is called the parable of the prodigal son, but the reality is the word prodigal is not used in this parable. The word prodigal means to be lavish, extravagant, or, or, or reckless, and... By the time we finish this parable, I hope we actually use that word to speak about God. This is more the parable of the prodigal God. If if anybody in this parable is lavish, if anybody is extravagant, if anybody is reckless, it's the father. This is really the parable of a father and his two lost sons. And in part of unpacking this parable, we will see that it not only applies possibly to those that are perishing, but the older brother, by the time we're finished, I believe will bring it home, sometimes for many of us. Uh, The greatest danger in the world, I think, is that we have a world out here that doesn't know Christ, that just like the person I know, we're 150 metres from home, (laughs) and The other danger is I was born again in the Salvation Army. I love the Salvation Army. I love the people that are in it. But I sat in the pews next to people that had been in church for 15 years and couldn't tell you what born again meant. Great danger. Great danger. So why do we need to be saved? And uh, this is an important question because outside of these doors in Western society, everybody thinks they're okay. I'm all right. I pay my taxes. Uh, I, I... I've got my 2.4 children, Reuben's our .4. <laughs> Everything's okay, and here's a word I believe that's not only dropped out of the church, but dropped out of society, it's called sin. I, I think there's a push to remove that from our dictionary. So let's work our way very Very quickly, I could preach on this parable, honestly, I could preach on this parable for weeks, but let's work very quickly through the parable of the father and his two lost sons today, and I want to break it into three stages as we work our way home to make the message of why salvation is so prominent. Stage number one would be the rejection of home, stage number two would be the return to home, and stage number three will be the reception of home. Let's begin with verse 11, chapter 15. And he said, Jesus, that is, there was a man. And when we work our way through these parables, the characters always represent somebody. There was a man who had two sons. And of course, the man is God. He had two sons. And Jesus says, the younger of them said to his father, give me the share of the property that is coming to me. Jesus was very deliberate in using the younger son. He didn't say one of them. He didn't just say the son. He said the youngest son. That's very important for what's about to come next. As we begin to understand the context, uh, uh, in first century Jerusalem amongst the Jews, if somebody had two sons, uh, the oldest son was entitled to uh, two-thirds of the inheritance and the younger son was entitled to one-third of the inheritance. But the inheritance was always something that was given to you. So it wasn't kind of, here's 50 bucks. Uh, I, I, I make the joke that I think uh, the inheritance I'll leave for my children is possibly the electricity bill and the car payment. So look forward to that, guys. It's it's, it's coming down uh, the truth for you guys. But but it was always something that had to be. We missed the fact that it had to be managed. I leave you these cattle. I leave you this property. I leave you this to be managed, the the inheritance came with responsibility. Uh, The further we go through this parable, it speaks so clearly to our times. We live in a time today that wants all of the inheritance without the responsibility. I want all of my life without the responsibility. I I want to have all of these actions and make all of these decisions, but I don't want the consequences. By the time we finish today, we're going to learn that, you know what, you can choose your sin, you can choose your life, you can choose the direction of your life. Here's what you can't choose, the consequences. Next week, we're going to look at why suffering and we're going to look at a passage that speaks about our life being like a breast. The, in God's eyes and it's gone. Uh, I haven't done too many funerals, blessed be the name of the Lord. But if you ever have a look at a tombstone, you're going to realise that on a tombstone is somebody's name and then there is two dates either side. And the date will represent when they were born and the other one will represent when they passed away. And those two things, none of us in this room have any control over. You have no control over the day you were born. You have no control over the day that you pass away. But you do have, by God's enormous grace... His grace to steward that dash in the middle. And what you do with that dash determines what happens after the last date. Uh, Whether you love God all your life or or whether you don't, you will still stand before God and give an account of the life that you have lived. This man today, he had two sons and the youngest son Says to his father, "Give me." We live in a we live in a "give me" culture, don't we? What does he say? He says, "Give me the share of property that is coming to me." And this is we kind of miss this. But in in Jerusalem at that time, uh, speaking to the Pharisees and the scribes, by the time Jesus has finished that sentence, they're picking their jaw up off the ground. This is astounding. Why are they picking their jaw up off the ground? For the younger son to come to his father and say, I want my inheritance now. He is basically saying, I wish you dead. Because what he's actually saying is, yes, that inheritance is rightfully, legally mine. But you've got no right to claim on it while the father is still alive. So what the younger son is doing is he's coming to his father and says, you know what? I would prefer it. You were dead. I don't want anything to do with you. I want what is mine. I want to take all that is mine, but I don't want anything to do with you. We live in a culture today that is running as far and as fast as they can away from God. I don't want anything to do with God. You know, I can have have a conversation down the road with people about Mickey Mouse and nobody gets offended. But you mentioned the word Jesus. And I'm not allowed to hire buildings. I'm conveying hate speech. And I'm the one that's intolerant. We live in a culture that's running as far away as they can from God. I've got some bad news. If you're running away from God today, <laughs> he's only one step behind you. And David said in the Psalms, where shall I go from your presence, O God? There's not a rock you can hide under to get away from God. Give me the share of my inheritance. This is, this is deep perversion of privilege. God has graciously given us our life and everything that pertains to it. This is enormous dishonour to the Father. And what does the Father do? How many, how many fathers in the room today, Baz? How many fathers in the room are like, let's, let's sort this out? You know, it's a, a different culture. There's, there's a way you deal with sons like this, and it's, and it's not nice. But what does the father do? The father, it says, and he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all that he had and took a journey into a far country. And what happens here is the father gives the son everything that he had asked for. Here's all your inheritance. And all the Jewish fathers are going, why did you not, why is this guy not in hospital? You're pampering this guy. It's an enormous insult. The reality is that the youngest son was every single one of us at one point in our lives. We didn't want anything to do with God and we wanted our own life. We thought we had everything covered. He divides the property and he goes for a journey into a far country. I want to make you a guarantee today if at any point in time in your life that you discover there is distance between you and God, let me make you one guarantee, God was not the one who moved. Genesis chapter 3, we read that, uh, we can't blame the women either, guys. We we realise that Eve, each of the fruit, sin, enters. And who changed? God, it says, came down in the cool of the evening. But where was Adam and Eve? Hiding in the bushes. And when God asked that universal question, where are you? He asked people that today, where are you? Why did he ask Adam that question? It wasn't because he lost him, it was because Adam had become lost. I was afraid. Maybe you're hiding in the bushes today. The term gathered all means to take it and to cash it in. He's taken all the material goods that his father had. He's run down the road to the pawnbroker and he's cashed it in for everything that he can get hold of. I love the words of Augustine. Augustine says, the far country is forgetfulness of God. We live in a culture today that wants to forget God. I don't want to hear about God. I don't want you to talk about God. I don't want you to hire buildings. I don't want to go to church. I don't want to hear that preacher. I don't want you to open the Bible. I want you to take the Bible out of our schools. I want you to take it out of our parliament. How's that working out for you? We covered that last week. But it's interesting. I I talk to people that say those things, but when they find themselves in a life and death situation, isn't it funny how they go, God, if you get me out of this, all of a sudden I need you now. He took a journey into a far country. Many of us have been running away from God and we seek distance from God, and and there he squandered his property in reckless living. Reckless living, what does reckless living look like? It's used of one who is living in an abandoned manner, but without any thought of the cost and without any thought of the consequences. If we have a look at the youngest son, the Give Me Culture that he has uh, highlighted, it's even crept into the church. Give Me Culture sounds like this. It sounds like, well, hang on a second, I'll come to church, but what's in it for me? Uh I, I, I came the other day, but I didn't really feel blessed. And you're not really preaching the way I want you to preach. And, and you're not singing songs that I like. Well, I've got some good news for you this morning. Church has got nothing to do with you and it's all about him. All about him. And the young prodigal went and squandered all his living. I'm reminded of the story of the man that's sitting on the park bench. You'll have to forgive me here, Brother Neil. And he's sitting on the park bench reading his paper and turns to the priest, Catholic priest that's sitting next to him. He says, Father, can I ask you a question? He says, yes. He says, how do you get arthritis? Oh, Father takes his glasses off. He says, Well son, he says, that's quite easy. He says, Arthritis is developed by living hard and fast. It's it's a lot of loose women, it's a lot of drugs and alcohol. And as he's putting his glasses back on, he turns to the man and he says, And my son, he says, How long have you had arthritis? He says, oh, I haven't got it. He says, I was just reading here, the Pope's got it. <laughs> That's how we sum up reckless living. Living in such a manner that we don't have any thought for the future. We only think about the immediate. And the enemy's greatest ploy is to keep us focused on the right now, never thinking about the future, never stopping long enough to think about what if. I love the words of Russell Brand. In fact, I think Nicky Gumbel used these words. Russell Brand says, the drugs and alcohol are not my problem. And if you know Russell Brand's story, he's got a problem with drugs and alcohol. But he says, drugs and alcohol are not my problem. Reality is my problem. And I spent almost a bit over six years driving taxis of the night time and I learned something. I was picking up the same people every week. And everyone was going, that person's got a drinking problem. That person's got a drug problem. You know, they're all about the doof-doof music and all that sort of stuff. But the reality was they had a reality problem. And they spent their weekends trying to escape from reality. Some people use alcohol. Some people use work and career. Some people use many other means. But reality has become our problem because we're desperately lost and we miss home. uh, I, I've spoken to people that travel for work and they spend time in, in some of the ritziest hotels, but every one of them will say, you know what, it's always nice to come home. And you think, really? I've seen your house, man. It doesn't compare to half of these, but that's not what makes a home. Home is where family is and where and where heart is. It doesn't matter how good the walls look. And and we live in a society that is desperately wanting to come Oh. I love this next passage, uh, the next part here, because m- many of us in this room would probably even identify with this. Verse. 14 says and when he had spent everything a severe famine arose in that country and he began to be in need anybody here ever experienced the famines of life anybody ever here ever experienced when everything dries up in your life well it's interesting because uh, famines quite often uh, in scripture were reference of God visiting somebody It was depriving us of something so that our hungers and our longings change. Have a listen to uh, the rest of this passage. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his field to feed pigs. Now this is uh, Jews, swine. They can't stand them. Verse 16, and he was longing. He was longing to be fed with the pods, that the pigs ate, no one gave him anything. And I want to challenge everybody in this room today, what do you long for? In fact, I want to challenge you, who do you long for? Every time you walk down the street, everybody out there is longing for something. And they're trying to fill that longing with all sorts of manners of different things. But every one of us is longing for home. My testimony as I stand here, my testimony is you can we we can argue science until we're black and blue in the face. We can argue and debate evolution and whatever else, and we can argue all of those things, but here's one thing you can never argue or take away from me, is the moment I met Christ was the moment I felt like, "Ah." I walked in the front door of home. And when I walked in, I had filthy rags, dirty shoes. I say to my boys, I'm like a Gestapo agent at the front door of my house now. You know, my boys walk in and I'm like, "Get that off, get that off." I mean, they nearly walk in naked. Please, don't ever visit our house when my boys come home. But you know what God does? God kicks the door open and says, "Come on in, we'll clean you up. Welcome home." Let's have a look at the response. Uh, here's the number one prayer I pray. Every person that doesn't know Jesus. I pray this prayer. This next verse I pray for every per- I pray for family members that don't know Jesus. I pray for the city of Brisbane that this verse would become a reality in their life. And that is verse 17. But when he came to himself. We live in a society today that needs to come to themselves. Often, if I can get people just to stop, five minutes, let's have a talk about God. Let's have a talk about eternity. Do you really think that this is all there is? Do you really think what you can taste and feel and touch? Do you really think that's all there is to life? Do you really think there's no afterlife? Do you really think we got here by chance and accident? If people can stop long enough, they begin to come to themselves. That doesn't make sense. And if you can get people to stop long enough, they'll begin to admit, you know what? I'm longing inside for something more. I'm looking for purpose in life. I'm looking for meaning in life. Take up fishing to start with. Uh, I love the story of, it kind of sums up the society we live in. I love the story of the two fish that are swimming along. And one fish turns to the next fish as they're swimming along and he says, you know what? He says, let's swim really, really, really fast and then jump up out of the water. And while we're in the air, let's just spend some time looking on the beach. The other fish goes, yeah, yeah, great idea. And as they're beginning to swim, he goes, whoa, hang on. What's water? We live in a society today where you could walk out here and go, you need Jesus because you've got sin in your life. What are they going to say? What's sin? What's sin? I have no recollection. I, I love the words of, C.H. Spurgeon, C.H. Spurgeon says, I have a great need for a saviour. He says, but I have a great saviour for my need. Oh, how I pray... For family members to come to themselves. How I pray for this city to come to themselves. I go to the gym with people that think they've got it all together. I go to the supermarket with people that are busy about living their lives. Same as everybody else here. Busy about doing their lives. But how I pray they would come to themselves and see the deep need. See the fact that they are desperately, desperately lost. Here's what coming home looks like. Here's what the return to home looks like. It says, but when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? And if you're looking for bread this morning, we've got a bit out there if you're looking for something. But I perish. That word needs to be highlighted, underlined and circled. Uh, People, if you do not know Jesus, if you are not born again, you are perishing. Jesus, I I shared the quote this morning on Facebook, Jesus did not come to make bad men good. He came to make dead people live. Outside of Jesus, you are perishing. How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? Amazing how, what do we hunger for? Verse 18, I will arise, he says. Notice how his inner dialogue is beginning to change. I will arise and I will go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. Why do people need to be saved today? Because we are lost, deeply lost in our sin and you cannot come home until you turn around and start heading in a different direction. It's called repentance. Ever heard the prophecy, prepare ye the way of the Lord? We we, we want the Lord, we want his presence. Let me tell you, every move of God in the last 2,000 years, any massive move of God has always, always, always been preceded by a massive move of repentance in the church. Always. Whatever that looks like, whatever you're praying for, for God to move, it's always, always been instigated by repentance. When Jesus came the first time, John the Baptist came what with a message of repentance. Prepare the way of the Lord. Prepare the way of the law. Repentance looks like, I have sinned. I've sinned against you and against heaven. Listen to those words. Horizontal relationships, vertical relationship. I will go. The biggest change for the younger son was in his direction. There's no mention of perfection here. Direction. He completely changed the direction of his life. Let's keep reading on. I love what comes next. Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and he came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion. If the son is still a long way off and the father saw him, the father was looking eagerly, waiting eagerly for him to return. Anticipating his return and I love how this word compassion is summed up here. It says that the father felt compassion and that word compassion in the Greek means that his vitals move. Brother Rob, remember when You're standing in a crowd, a youth group. And all these people were around you, but when Karen walked in, everything on the inside went up, down and around. That was God talking to you, brother? No. That's what it means when your vitals move. you ever... You ever notice how you're going about your business and then somebody's there and all of a sudden you get excited on the inside. Everything inside of you moves. That's what that word compassion means. That the father saw the son a long way off. Remember, this was the son that basically spat in his face and said, I wish you dead and I'm going to go and have my own life. What's the response of this God? I love you and I'm so excited that you're coming back. He arose and he came to his father, but while he was still a long way off... Remember, he's rehearsed this speech. But while he's still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran... Listen to his words, and ran and embraced him and kissed him. How many fathers are sitting here today who are thinking, I would have run and kicked him and punched him? Verse 21, and the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven... And before you, I am no longer worthy. That is is the truth. No one in this room here is worthy of salvation. Nobody in this room here is worthy of forgiveness. Not anybody on this planet is worthy that God would accept us back into his home. That's why he's such an awesome God. I'm not worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring... It doesn't even answer. This is, this is not important right now. Have a listen to the reception. We've worked our way through the rejection of home. We've worked our way through the return to home. Have a listen to what the father says. He says, but the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe. Bring quickly the first robe. And, and, and the robe is, it speaks of our robes of righteousness. Uh, bring, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand, and that ring uh, 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 for those that are married here this morning, you, you've got something on your hand. It's called a wedding ring. That's a sign that you, yes, you're betrothed to somebody else. But it's actually also a symbol of intense intimacy between two people. What's the father saying? Uh, put the robes back on this guy. He's got some dirty clothes. He's been hanging out with the pigs. But put, put some robes on this guy. Put his ring back on. Intimacy restored. Put a ring on his hand and put shoes on his feet. And the, the son has not lost his position at all. Shoes were reserved for those of members of the household. All of the servants and all of the slaves were barefooted. What's the father saying? You come back and you come back right into the position you had before. That's called redemption. Fully and utterly restored back. Praise God. He put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf. It's always the calf, isn't it? And bring the fattened calf, but they always reserve the fattened calf for the most special of guests and the most joyous of celebrations. And that's the message of every parable. Parable. Here we have the parable of the lost sheep and how overjoyed this shepherd was when he found that one lost sheep and and, and the woman who lost the coin and how she got everybody around because she was so happy that she'd found the coin. And now we have the fattened calf. Why? Because one who was lost, one who was perishing has now come home and God is so overjoyed. Let's kill the fattened calf. You want to make God's day? Now preach the gospel and get some sinners back home. The message that we have for the world is not your dirty, rotten, filthy sinners going to hell. That's not the message. It's action. Yes, it's truth, but it's not even the message of the gospel. The message of the gospel is you're lost. We know the way back home and the Father's waiting for you. God loves you. You don't have to be lost anymore. Bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. If you're a vegan, you've got a problem. Verse 24. For this my son was dead, was dead, and is alive again. He was lost and is found. They began to celebrate. Now this, his older son, let's, before we go anywhere, don't forget there was two sons going on with the older son. Now his older son was in the field. Where do we find the older son? We don't find him in the house at all. He's out in the field. His older son was in the field and he came and drew near to the house and he heard music and dancing and he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf." Listen to the older brother for a moment. Because he has received him back safe and sound. Verse 28. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father. Listen to the answer. Look, these many years I have served. and I never disobeyed your commands. What's he saying? All these years, he's off, running around doing whatever he wants. I'm here serving you. I'm here obeying your commands. And what's the big mistake the older brother's made? He has mistaken proximity to mean relationship. A relationship with God is not defined by going to church. We go to church because we have a relationship with God. You can sit in the pews of churches and be just as lost as anybody else. And we've mistaken Christianity to be spelt with the words, I do. When in fact, Christianity is spelt D-O-N-E. It's all done. older brother in this parable are the pharisees and the scribes they wore all the fancy clothes they had the big phylacteries they said all the right words they looked really spiritual they said the right things they did the right things they looked the part but inside what did jesus say inside you're like whitewashed tombs you're empty the reality was that these guys went to temple. These guys lived in the temple. These guys read the word. They knew the word. These guys, uh, Pharisees, were. it was demanded that you were able to recite the first five books of the Bible by memory. Hands up, who's got that one down? None of us. And yet, they were as lost and as far away from God as the tax collectors and the sinners and the calling would support. His father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, look, these many years I have served you and I never disobeyed your command. You never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But listen to these words. But when this son of yours came, not brother of mine, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. What's the response of the father? And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this your brother was dead and is alive. I'm going to ask Karen if she can come and play quietly this morning. The answer to why the salvation this morning we find in this parable is that all of us are just like, at one point in time in our lives, all of us are like that prodigal son. All of us are like that younger son. All of us are uh, want life our own way until we meet Christ. But maybe some of us in the room today are just like that older brother. What does the father say to the older brother? <laughs> you've made a mistake. You thought it was all about... You thought that this whole religion and Christianity was all about following rules and, and serving me and, and summed up in what you do. When in fact it's been summed up by what I've done. I want to ask you some questions this morning, uh, starting with, are you lost? And that can apply to people perhaps who even know Jesus. Perhaps you're sitting here and you're saying, you know what, uh, 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 I've said yes to Jesus. But I feel so empty inside. I feel like God's a million miles away. And I don't know how to get back. I want to challenge everybody here today because you can't walk away from Jesus without this being challenged. But what is it that you long for? Uh We are the sum of what it is we hunger for. What you hunger for will drive your life. Who you long for drives your life. The younger son had a radical transformation in his longings. He started to long for home. Which best describes you this morning? The younger son or the older son? Religion always seeks to know what I must do. Uh, If you're here this morning saying, you know what, I'm not a huge fan of religion. Praise God, neither am I. This is not a book about religion. It's a book of relationship. Religion always seeks what I must do. The gospel seeks to know what God has done. Religion will always ask God, what do you have? That's the Give Me Society. The gospel asks, who are you? this morning uh if if you need prayer this morning if if you're sitting here this morning and you have never said yes to Jesus if you have never taken that step to turn around and realize that God was right here the whole time i want to i want to give you that opportunity today to walk out the front and we'd love to pray with you if that's you don't don't go home today but, but maybe you've been following Jesus for a number of years and maybe you feel just like that. Maybe you feel like you're going this way and you've walked a million miles away from God. I want to encourage you today that if you take that same step, God is right here. We live, just like C.H. Spurgeon says, we live in a world today that has a great need for a saviour. And we have a great saviour. For every one of their needs, let's pray. I wonder if we can stand in His presence this morning as we pray. It closes me, Father. As I stand here this morning, I'm thank. You. I'm so so thankful that You found me. Every one of us in this room were perishing. Every one of us at some point in time were dead but you've made us alive I'm so thankful that I found home I'm so thankful that you brought me home I'm so thankful that Jesus made the way home Thank you Father that when we come home you don't point out all the stains in our clothes You've got the robes ready to hand out to us And Father when we come home and say we're not even worthy to be called your son. You give us a ring to put on our finger to say how much intimacy we have with you. And Lord, when we seek to just serve you like the servants, you give us shoes because we're members of your house. What a privilege that is this morning. As we stand in your presence, we are so thankful for Jesus. We're so thankful for salvation. We're so thankful for redemption. Thank you, Father, that we don't have to live a million miles away from you. We can come home right now. Father, I pray that you would change the longings inside of each one of us. That we would long for more of you, I pray. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen.